0: If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, As we continue, we are actually in the sixth week of a sermon series entitled For the Flourishing of the Household of God. Uh, We get that title right from uh, 1 Timothy 3 that tells us that he has written this letter. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote it uh, to a young pastor named Timothy. He happened to be in a place called Ephesus when he got this letter and there was a lot of things that were going on. He said, hey, I'm writing these words to you, Timothy, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, they're for us too, so that the, the, uh, the household of God, he calls it the Church of the Living God, it really may flourish. And so this, in many, many ways, is, is like an owner's manual. It's an owner's manual for the church. Uh, all of God's Word is an owner's manual for our life. It tells us who God is. It tells us who His Son is. It tells us about ourselves. But specifically, when it comes to a church, this is written with so much like, this is how the church should act. This is how the church should behave. This is what you're to do in the church. And although there were some specific things that, that had to be dealt with back in Timothy and Paul's day in Ephesus, uh, those things, other things are really true for us as well. So it's really important for the, for the church to be properly run. We got to hear from the one who owns it. Uh, Christ Jesus from his word and for the world to be thoroughly one I mean one of the reasons he's writing this is not just for us to have a holy huddle it's not just so that we get this right and we can shun ourselves from the world we want to get this right why because we're on mission Because God has got a desire to to save the world, to bring people, to sinners, to himself. And that we are the ones, we are the primary vehicle that God is using to tell good news. And so really important for us to get this so that we can properly run Christ's church. He's the head of it. So we can make sure we're on mission and the world can be thoroughly won. So here's some of the things that we have learned uh, as we have made our way. We're just in chapter 2. That we need sound doctrine. That we got to have a foundation, a really good, sound doctrine that comes from God's word that we stand on. It, it's not something that is just good today and may not be good tomorrow. What is that sound doctrine? We need abounding a grace. I love that. Uh, we, gotta, we realize not only just this firm foundation, but we realize how gracious God is for a sinner. And Paul will say, like, I'm the chief. I'm the worst. Uh, and the amazing, flowing, abounding grace of God. No matter what the mirror tells you, no matter what is happening in your life and the things you're struggling with, remember, God's grace is greater than our sin. And don't let the enemy whisper in your ear that that's not true. And you know, don't, don't live your life for a nanosecond not knowing uh, that, that God's grace is greater, that abounding grace. We need to fight the good fight. It talks about there is a good fight, that we are in a fight. Uh, we gotta make sure we're fighting the right fight. We gotta make sure we're fighting the right fight the right way. That the whole goal is not an inward fight, that we're not fighting each other. Uh, the whole goal is not that we are, are more precise than other churches, that we are better than them, that we are in a fight with the world, a fight for truth, and we got to be fighting the good fight. We need the primacy of prayer. It's like, like the first building block of this is making sure that we're a praying church. All of us are, are going before God. The, the reality is all the things that the church will do will stop one day. Except for worship, we're always going to be worshiping, and and prayer is to be a part of our lives always as a conversation with God, always calling out to Him, and so now we get to the very easy. This is so easy peasy sermon. Um, we get to the easy peasy part where He's now going to talk about understanding biblical gender roles when it comes to worship, uh, and so this is uh, this is going to be an interesting task today. This sermon really should come with a warning. You know, I mean, if this was a commercial, you'd see. The, the, the fast-talking lawyers going really fast right now and like the words going really fast uh, but there should be a warning uh, on this sermon this sermon is not going to be politically correct this sermon will not uh be something that our culture is going to embrace uh this is not something everybody's gonna say oh this is something i i see is true um this sermon is not going to be necessarily easy to hear uh this sermon really uh is not going to be easy to preach in some ways it's interesting my son jp uh, he's the one every week who helps put together uh, uh, everything we project uh, he's the one I send my outline to and uh, he's the one that we'll see and I, I got a text late last night like dad this is gonna be an interesting sermon <laughs> you know um, he basically it led to an hour conversation he's with our oldest daughter Jesse, so we just talked for an hour about this you know uh, good luck <laughs> uh, anyway so remember I am the messenger and I am definitely fallible uh, I tell you that every week before I preach every week I say the things that are not of me may they fall away be quickly forgotten right I've studied this hard uh, I've tried to dig in uh, but I, I don't have all the answers um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm fallible and, and so God's Word is it I am um, so I'm doing my best uh, that the Holy Spirit will, will be here and the book of Acts the book of Acts is like a history of the New Testament uh, a history of the church Jesus Christ is ascended uh, it kind of begins with his ascension and how he's empowered us to be his witnesses and it tells the story of how the gospel went from jerusalem judea to samaria to the ends of the earth and that's that that's it in 28 chapters it's absolutely amazing in chapter 17 we see the apostle paul uh is is doing his journey he's on his third mission um i think it's the third one maybe the second but anyway uh he comes to a ch- church uh a city called berea um berea uh he goes in he does this thing uh he goes in typically into a synagogue and he wants to prove that the messiah jesus had to suffer and die uh they usually throw him out uh then he goes to the gentiles because god called them that and he preaches the good news but the bereans he said were different than other places he said the bereans what they did is they said okay paul wait a minute You're talking about this Jesus guy. You're telling me that he was resurrected from the dead. And you say that Scripture says that he was supposed to suffer and die as our Messiah. Let me see if that's true. And they would go to the Word. Probably they would go to the scrolls, actually. It wouldn't be this. It would be a scroll. They would examine Scripture to make sure that what he was saying is true. So, I love it. It says that they were noble. They were noble because daily— daily it says this they examine the scriptures daily to see if these things that baal was preaching was so so these bereans were noble so let me challenge you king's chapel be noble bereans okay don't just take my word for it don't just not take my word for it either examine scripture it's here for you and what does scripture say uh do some digging um and and you'll have a lot of things to dig in. let's examine scripture and by the way uh every week uh brooks robinson and i do something called casey corner it's a weekly podcast usually about 15 minutes uh and we always have a couple of segments one is what i meant to say i always go back and say hey, this is what i meant to say i try to summarize sunday and then i'll say hey this is what i hope to say i kind of give you a little taste of what's coming and then we talk about things king's chapel and we usually talk about sports and so uh that's usually bolts hockey they won the cup two years in a row yahoo go bolts um but anyway like like listen this week because I know this there's so many things I'm not gonna be able to say there's just too much you know um, don't look at your watches now I got plenty of time all right. but I just know that I'm not gonna be able to say it all and so there's gonna be more and I told Katie on the way here it's like you know this is one of the biggest things like how do I prioritize this how do you make sure that the most important things are said so um, with that listen to maybe Casey corner uh, join in uh, if you get on an Apple podcast or Spotify um, it's there every week and you can go there Okay, now when it comes to the points this week, I want to tell you, we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to start off with something called hermeneutics uh, and how do we interpret the Bible. So, we're going to start off by describing how do we understand the Bible. So, there's something called the big word. You learned a word today. Isn't that pretty cool? Hermeneutics. And so, I'm going to teach you a little bit about that. We aren't going to dwell there. But then, we're going to talk about what the church, what this letter says about what we let a woman do, what we don't let a woman do, the order of a woman. And how a woman's salvation is through childbearing. Okay, I hope I we have the dos, the don'ts, and the uh, the order. So uh, easy peasy sermon, right? No, 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 no worries there. Um, oh Lord, help me. <laughs> so we're gonna jump in right where we left off. It's First Peter two. I'm sorry, First Peter. See, I'm so I'm already off my game. It's First Timothy uh, two. Uh, we're gonna pick up in verse eleven through verse fifteen. Let's be mindful that Paul wrote this to Timothy at a specific time, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit for, it's us, for us as well today. He says this, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissive, submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and in love and in holiness with self-control. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we really need you this morning. We need you every day. We need you all the time. We need your spirit. Your spirit is the one who illuminates your word, that allows us to help understand what your word says. But we read these words, and there's so many things, God, that are just abrasive. There's so many things that don't feel right, don't sound right, don't look right. Um, And we want to know, how is this right? Your word tells us, and your spirit affirms that all of god's word is god breathed all of it is useful for training and for rebuking and leading us in righteousness uh, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword uh, that it's living it's active um, and so god would you come and would you speak through a broken sinner like me and god i i, I want to acknowledge to you and to the blessed conversation that you blessed me with that i'm fallible um, that god i need your help i've had to wrestle with this there's a lot of head scratching going on with me in my study but god i thank you for the way the spirits led me to some things of understanding and i'm thankful for how your word makes sense And it's difficult so god would you speak to a broken sinner like me like i pray every week would you give us ears to hear your voice god would you give us minds to understand your word Would you give us hearts to embrace your truth? I'm going to hit pause there for a minute because, God, some of us are going to come here with predisposed hearts. Some right now are already uncomfortable. And, and God, would you soften their hearts, all of our hearts, those who arrogantly think they know this and those who arrogantly don't think this is not for them? um, God, would you soften all of our hearts? And, God, would you empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name that we can respond to this? God, this is not a a, a culturally, uh, politically correct sermon. Um, and I feel like we swim as a church more and more upstream. So help us to be good swimmers for your glory. Um, And God, help us to look to you. Again, the things I say that are wrong, and there may be many, the things I say that are just my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten, but the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your Son, our Savior Jesus, and in his matchless name that we pray, amen. Okay, let's jump in. The first thing we're going to do is this word hermeneutics, and hermeneutics means how do we interpret, how do you understand. So let me give you a couple of tools that will really help you understand the Bible, this ancient text written over thousands of years, 66 books in two testaments. How do we understand this thing? Well, we got to understand, first of all, the big story. We're going to talk about the big story, their story, and our story. But let's talk about the big story. To really understand Scripture, you have to understand the Bible. What We need to know what is the big story of the Bible. What is the overarching storylines? There's so many things that are in this. But I want you to know there is one overarching story. There's only one hero and champion of that story. It's Jesus. And the overarching story of the Bible is the story of the God who is. And the story of the Bible is this, that God saves sinners through his son, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I mean, there's so much, but that's basically the big story of the sinner, uh, of, the, of, the, of the Bible, is how God saves sinners like us through the work of his son. So that's what my, many might call, or theologians might call, the meta narrative of the Bible. Okay, that's the overarching story. we got to know the big story. There's a good thing to know that's called the infallible rule of interpretation. Stick with me. What is the infallible rule of interpretation? It says this, let the Bible interpret itself. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. So what is it saying is is this. we got to make sure we put all the pieces of the Bible together to see the whole. And when one part's a little confusing or fuzzy, let's look at the rest of Scripture and say, what else does it say about this? So we can put it all together. So we get in trouble sometimes when we bar down on just one verse and we kind of isolate it from everything else, right? So we got to let scripture interpret scripture and so we can see the whole. And we got to be exa- examine the whole, not just one piece of the story. And so we need to ask, how does this text fit in the big story of the Bible? Very important. How does this text fit in the big story? And what does the entire story say about men and women? Well, let me tell you, from the very first chapter, it's radically good. It says that male and female, both of them are made in God's image. And it tells us from the very beginning that male and female are both needed to accomplish God's plan. And it tells us from the very beginning that male and female have equal standing before God. That one is not better than the other. But it also tells us about an order of how it was created. Genesis 2, that man was created first, and then from man comes woman. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So what does the Bible communicate about gender roles? Um, It communicates a lot. And why is it important? we got to get that. So, so we want to start with the big story. What's the overarching story of the Bible? Anytime you come to a text, how does this fit? How does Jesus show up in the story, right? Okay, so then, then, then there's their story. To further understand the Bible, and most people blow right by this. This is really good and important. We must know what was their story. And what was the story to the original audience? The ones who first heard this or the ones who first read this. To whom was this passage originally written? What was happening in the original story that helps us know why it was written? Listen, a guy named Paul wrote to a guy named Timothy in a place called Ephesus, because there was real stuff going on in the church, and there was stuff that they had to deal with. And he wasn't writing it thinking of King's Chapel. He was writing it thinking of specifics right in front of them in their story. And it's not easy for us to slip our feet into their sandals. It it was so long ago. Time and space has separated us from those in Ephesus. Have you ever been to Ephesus? It's one of the coolest places on the earth. The old library still stands. I mean, do you know that this time they had hot and cold running water in Ephesus? I mean, they had these clay uh, uh, um, pipes that would come into town. I mean, it was an amazing port city in Rome. I mean, it was an amazing city. Uh, 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 You could, a lot of the uh, signs... Uh, the city were were done in the cement of their time like you see a foot like a turn right here was a right foot turn left it would be a left foot and it would show you the signs like it tells you like where the brothel is or where the bathhouse is i mean ephesus is a really really cool city uh it's one of the coolest ones of ancient ones I've, i've been to but you know it's so far away and how do we figure out what was going on there well we were given some hints that the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy while he was there, and there were some false teachers with some really strange doctrine that had infiltrated the church. And by the way, the city was famous for the goddess Diana. It had a very feminine uh, outlook to the city in many ways. Uh, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That's Diane. I mean, they, they, uh, that was what they would say were known for, was a, f- a feministic, a female deity over the city, but it was also a Roman colony. And you also know, God knows, during the Roman colony, that was the women were not treated, uh, were not highly valued. Uh, and so you have a city that has a woman uh, goddess, and yet a city that where Rome, women wouldn't be able to give a, an account in court. Um, so the teaching of this is very important. The teaching of this is in public worship. So he's talking about public worship. When he talk about roles of women and men here, he's not talking about the public sphere. He's not talking about in government. He's talking about in public worship. And that's how God is going to direct us. And we got to realize that that is where he specifically is going. So we see that the big story, we see their story, and then we have to understand our story. How does our current culture and surroundings help us or hurt us understand this story? Now, here's something that you really think might blow you away, because you're going to read this and you're going to hear this and say, man, this is so culturally insensitive and like out of date. But if you go back and you read the commentaries, you read what people wrote about this, there was a great amount of consistency until about the 1960s. In the 1960s, uh, when some of the, the women's movement was moving so much, they started to tweak it, saying, well, I think Paul was just writing about specific things that were happening in Ephesus. And I don't think, and there were some who said, Paul's wrong. You can't, you can't go, Paul was just wrong. He was right in other places. Paul was wrong here. You can't trust Paul here. Once you start cherry-picking, good luck. Where are you stopping? Once you pull that thread out. Uh, And so, really, a lot of the critics, which have such a strong voice now that they almost become the ones that many are listening to, didn't even start voicing concern until the 60s. Over the last 50 years, this this passage has gone through some changes. Um, But we have to realize, okay, in our story, our context, what is it? Okay, so that's a little bit of hermeneutics, right? Big story, their story, our story. You ready? Here we go. What does verse 11 start off with? It says, Paul says to Timothy, women, let them, let a woman learn. Let a woman learn in verse 11. Now, it doesn't sound scandalous to us to have scripture say, let a woman learn. It sounds like, well, duh, of course. Why wouldn't you let a woman learn? But you have to know, this was amazingly progressive for the story at this time. This was amazing that that Jesus in his word was saying, hey, right alongside you men should be the women. Right alongside you praying should be the women. They should be learning. They should be disciples. They too are disciples. So Jesus has women learning from his teaching. He has women sitting as his disciples. Not apostles, disciples. I mean, there's those who who are being discipled, those who are growing in Christ. I love this story, you're probably familiar with it if you're in the Bible, in Luke chapter 10 of Martha and Mary, right? So you have these two sisters, and let me read to you a little bit out of Luke 10, uh, verses 38 through 42. Now, when they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Probably blow right by that, but let me just hit pause and say that is what a disciple did. They sat at the rabbi's feet and they listened to the rabbi's teaching. Uh, this was oftentimes a place only for males, but here you have in God's word a female at Jesus's feet learning, and he was in a posture in a position of one who was a disciple. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up and said uh, to him. Uh, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Listen to this. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let her learn. Disciples, co-heirs in Christ." Equal footing before God. We both, men and women, let us learn. And then it says, learn quietly. Woo! What does it mean to learn quietly? You know, on the surface, it sounds harsh. It sounds sexist. What do you mean, let them learn quietly? They shouldn't open their mouths. Well, we see throughout Scripture, even the New Testament, there were prophecies prophetesses who were speaking in church. So what does quietly mean? Watch this. It means without men fighting and quarreling. Remember, in verse eight, it says men should be lifting holy hands in prayer, not with not with arguing or quarreling. There should be a way of learning where you're not just in a big fight. And it also says about women, you shouldn't be showy and, and all about dress. Really, quietly is is telling us that it's setting the parameters that men shouldn't be so fighting and quarreling that they're disrupting the learning process, and women shouldn't be just parading their beauty. But like the story of, of in Mark 10, Martha and Mary help us understand what, how to interpret Scripture. Mary was learning quietly. She was at Jesus' feet, quietly learning. Martha was not quiet. She was anxious and troubled. Anxious, I'm going to tell you, Martha, when you're all anxious and troubled, you can't learn. When you're all distracted, when you got all life's concerns... She was more concerned of what she could do to serve the Lord than she was to learn from the Lord, right? How many of us go that way? What do I got to do So sit and be? Learn quietly. This is not saying that you can't voice and you should be quiet. It's like the setting, quietly without outside noise. With all submission, now here's another one, another terribly harsh and sexist sounding qualification to a woman's learning. Are you kidding me? But the question you have to ask is this, to whom is Paul telling Timothy? And remember, he's telling Timothy, not the woman. Who's Paul telling Timothy that learning women are to be in submission to? Who are, who, what's what submission? To, to whom should they be in submission? And here's what it is. Be in submission to the authority of God's word. You're sitting there listening. Be in submission to God's word. Be ready to obey God's word. And not only that, now this is a really important one. Be in submission to God's order of creation. God's creative order. Understanding the rule of God based on God's design and order of creation. Now, I know I'm throwing that out there. We're going to unpack it in a second. But there is a design by God. And God's saying, I want you to be submissive to my word. And I want you to be submissive to my creative order. And that's what I want you to submit to. By the way, some people have really been brutal with this and wrong with this. Some people interpret this that every woman should be submitted to, to a man, that they're to all men. Uh, there, there's been abuse to this. I mean, church, we've got to own that we've really gotten this wrong. In many ways, we haven't loved our co-heirs in Christ well. In many ways, we've been domineering arrogant and wrong the way we have uh, looked at the gender roles. But when we look at it deeply and we look at it biblically, we look at it holistically, something beautiful is going to emerge. Uh, And that is men and women created in God's image, different orders, different design, but more on that shortly. But then it says this, don't let women, or don't, say the do's, learn, don't, don't let a woman teach, or really the word here is preach. This is specifically dealing with public worship and preaching. Listen, scripture tells women, teach other women. There's different roles, you're supposed to be teachers, but it's saying specifically when it comes to the preaching role, that should be done according to God is, is not for the woman. Now, let me tell you this. It's not because they're not skilled or valued. I, I know there's a lot more smart women who can open up God's word a lot better than me. It not, has nothing to do with skill. has nothing to do with value. It has something to do with a bigger picture. Hit pause. We're going to see a lot of people in heaven who don't believe it this way. There's going to be a lot of people who think that they're called egalitarians, that when Paul says in Galatians 3 that in Christ Jesus there's neither female or male, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, that Jesus erased all differences, and therefore all distinctions of who should teach and who shouldn't teach has been erased. And there's some people that really love Jesus that would believe in egalitarian uh, understanding. They will ordain women, uh, they will have them preach or teach uh, i've been a tradition that that's not been the case and now that we're non-denominational it's had to be examined again well, what do i believe and why do i believe it and i want you to know in many ways it's easier to believe in egalitarian view it's easier to say "How oh, of course we're all equal we are equal in our standing before god but god in his creative order in biblical design says that there's a teaching and preaching that should be done that reflects his headship, we're going to get to, in a way that it should be for men. Um, So that's a bigger picture. And not only that, um, uh, again, nothing to do with skill or value. And we see that women teach in many other places. Um, But when it comes to public worship and a pulpit, it seems to be that God was clear. Interestingly, um, I read a book about God's order and gender design and it was written by a woman who didn't believe this at first and really went to study it and came to that conclusion and she was asked about this and she said was it hard for you she says no i think god made it pretty clear uh i think it was pretty clear on this and it was hard for me with some of the situational things but god didn't seem unclear and she did some examination and came to the conclusion for god's text that we'll get to in a minute she says also another don't exercise authority over a man now, remember, this is not talking about in the public sphere. My first boss was a woman. They should be. I mean, golly, I, I love watching the crown, Margaret Thatcher. What an amazing woman. I mean, there, there's a lot of great uh, leaders, women leadership that are over men. In the context of church, in the context of shepherding the church, what he is saying is this, very important. Don't do what an ordained elder male is uniquely called to do. Starting next week, we're going to pick up right where we left off, and guess what's next? Qualifications for elders. And so what he's saying is there's certain things that God has for elders that he's asking others not to do. Now watch this. Not just the women, but unordained males shouldn't do them. You know, you shouldn't have an unordained male preach. Or you shouldn't have a, uh, uh, an unordained male shepherd the flock. They should be a biblically qualified elder. So that's in the context. But then, you, so you see the, the don'ts. Well, really, it all points to the order of women in verses 13 and 14. It's God's creative order. Again, he's going to say that Adam was created first, and then Eve, and that, that Eve was deceived first. So let, me, let me read you a few things. Genesis 2:18, and then verses 21 through 23. Then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. Remember, this is in the garden, and everything is fantastic, and it's not good. The only thing that wasn't good in paradise is that man, made in God's image, he's not enough for God's story to be complete. And he says, I will make a helper fit for him. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in, his pl- in it, with its flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into woman and brought her to the man then the man said Woohoo, are you kidding me it says that in the hebrew as far as you know this is a bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman and she shall be uh because she was taken out of man um i'm gonna imagine this was the perfect woman i mean this was it there was no sin there was no it it was it i can't imagine the sight of that i mean that must have been wow this is this is an incredible beautiful creation that god has created Uh, Paul will go back and address this in 1 Corinthians 11. He'll say in verse 8, For man was not made from woman, but woman was from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority over her head because of the angels. So there's something that's going on of creation that reflects God's creative order here. Nevertheless, in the Lord... um, Woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. We're together. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now made born of woman, and all things are from God. Here's what Scripture tells us: women and men are made in God's image. We stand equally before God, but we have different roles. Part of the different roles that we have is the creative order in which we were created. And because of that way we were created, God has given us different roles. God is also has a headship that he wants to show for us. Not, not one greater than the other, but it reflects God. God's headship design. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11.3. Paul says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And what he's saying is this. You have one that, is, that I'm going to have as a head over the other that represents them, but they are equal, And God created headship that reflects his headship. And you got to see that even in our God, this headship is something that plays out. In God, there's one true living God. He's a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equals. They're equal in their being, they're equal in their power and their glory, but they have different roles. Jesus, being equal with the Father, fully God, says, I will submit to the Father, He's my head. I will show, I will submit. And in that headship, he wants us to reflect that as well. Christ is the head of the church. He's our head. We submit. And uh, he wants that headship to be seen in our relationships, especially in our marriages. Then there's something really important called our federal headship in Adam or Christ. So here's what I want you to know. Scripture says that you sitting here right now, you are being represented by one of two Adams, Or one of two headship over you. All of us have sinned and fallen because of Adam's sin. All of us are guilty because of Adam's sin. You should be mad hearing that. You should say, why in the world am I guilty because some dude in a garden a long time ago let his wife be deceived? Well, because he represented us. And as Adam goes, we go. And as Adam fell, we fell. And not only do we inherit his sin and brokenness, we inherited his, we got his guilt and now you should be really ticked now you say that's not fair i knew nothing about adam how in the world is adam's guilt mine what in the world about this god but let me tell you something run to jesus because as adam's guilt is ours christ's righteousness is ours too and we are represented in christ his life our life his death our death his resurrection our resurrection so how does God the Father view us right now? You are sitting here right now. You are either in Adam in all of his sinfulness or you are in Christ in all of his righteousness and the beauty and the grace of God. And that all has to do with headship. We are guilty sinners in Adam, but let me tell you, we are righteous saints in Christ. Then lastly, oh man, I don't have any time, but you've got to hear this one. You gotta, woman's salvation through childbearing. Did you read verse 15? Let's look, look. Look at fifteen. What in the world does this mean, when it says, "Yet she, the woman, will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control." Let me let me just quickly summarize this. This is hard. Remember. Um, He's talking about these things. He says, now remember, Adam was first. So he's telling us the story of, of what's happening in Ephesus in church. But he takes us to the big story and says, don't forget the big story, the big story of God's creative order. And don't forget the big story that, that Adam and, and Eve, and the Eve fell first. She was deceived. And don't forget, so listen, Eve listened to the creator instead of uh, the creature instead of the creator, and she led her husband in being deceived as well. And, but when God dealt with the sin he dealt with Adam. He said, Adam, you're going to die. You're going to die. Because why? You represented everything. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. As you go, Adam, mankind goes. He didn't say that of Eve. Eve, some bad stuff are going to happen. I mean, increased pain in childbirth. But here's what he said. When he's saying, Here's what happened because of sin. He gives us the first promise of the gospel in Genesis 3.15. And he says, out of the seed of a woman um, is going to come one who's going to conquer evil. And he's going to put enmity between that seed of a woman uh, and and Satan. And Satan's going to nip at that seed of the woman's heel, the cross. And that seed of the woman is going to crush Satan's head. So there's different translations of this. But my understanding is how is a woman saved through childbearing is saying this. Through a woman, a Savior is going to come. Galatians 4.4 In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of what? Born of a woman. Born of a woman's seed. That who believes in him will be adopted, no longer slaves. That's, that's, the Savior is going to come through a woman's seed, and we all are going to be saved because of that reality. Listen, King's Chapel needs to be a church that knows and obeys God's story of the Bible. We need to be men and women together growing in our grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to be nominating officers soon. We're going to be going to the next level. And I just came here to say, this is what God's Word says. And there's a lot of wisdom here. Um, And this is what we want to follow. We need to be biblically accurate, not necessarily politically correct. Listen, I have a document that's going to be in the back. I taught on this a few weeks ago with KC Essentials. If you want more, there's going to be a couple of them on that back table. Um, you can you can get those as well. So um, let's close in prayer. Uh, man, who didn't tell me to stop preaching a couple? Of, which clock is right? Is it, is it is it 1117 or is it 1123? 1120? I got five more minutes. So anyway, <laughs> um, I don't know what we do, Scott. I think we got to let them go before they get any more angry at me. So... Uh, um, let me close this in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that it's true whether we like it or not. We thank you that it's true whether our, our culture embraces it or not. It's not true because we say it is, or it's not true because the majority says it is. It's true because you're true, and truth comes from you. And God, you've called your church to follow its head, Christ Jesus, and he will never lead us astray. And God, we live in a time that if we believe this and we preach this and we teach this and we live by this, we're going to get a little bit further away from our culture at times. But God, maybe it's the distance that we got to get from our culture that shows them the beauty of Christ. And maybe it's that that you're going to use to win them. Because we know that you we've already learned that you have a heart to save all people. You have a heart for all kinds of people to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We know that you abound in grace. You're not harsh. And we know that you made male and female in your image, and that's radically good. And we know that you said that women are to learn. And, and God, that seems so elementary to us, but that was radically good that they too are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, may King's Chapel be a church that stands on truth. May I fear God more than I fear man. May I speak truth in love. God, would you teach me the things that are wrong? But may we also be winsome. May we never be arrogant. May we never take truth as something that we stand on that we're better. May we just, God, embrace our own brokenness because we embrace a Savior who died for us. And may we win our neighbors by the way we love you and the way we love them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.